Today's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make, not make it any lesser part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any lesser part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Glad to be gathered together. And just want to say a good welcome to those of you that are with us, either been with us for ages or just visiting. Uh, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. And, you know, here we are. Um, let me ask you this question as we start things off. And I don't mean to ask this in an interrogating way, but why are you here? Like, like, why did you bother to wake up and get dressed and, and come here this morning? Um, and, and I'm actually not even asking that in a rhetorical fashion. I, I'm, I'm literally wanting to get some feedback. Why, 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 do, we, why do we even take the time to, to do this week in and week out? I'm, I'm honestly curious. Why do we believe we, we should come together? Yeah, Nigel, you're saying? To hear the word of God. Yeah. Ralph? Well, I can worship God by myself. There's a whole lot of things that say as an individual Christian, but there's more power in what is known as corporate worship. Okay. To worship together as a body is much more. Okay. So you could worship by yourself, but to worship corporately, to use the terms of that term you use, corporately, to, to worship corporately is a good congregationally, corporately, yeah, it's a good thing. Anyone else? Why, I mean, why, I mean, you guys are the ones sitting here. Why, why, are, why are you here? Why do we gather? Yes. 
Do you remember that you're not alone? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But let me, let me push on some of these because to remember that you're not alone, to hear the word, to worship, I mean, can't you just get together with a couple Christian friends and have a little Bible study and some prayer? And I mean, isn't that the church? When Dan preaches, especially, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I hear what you're saying, but you could let me let me just play the devil's advocate here. You you could still say, well, why not? Why not just someone get together with a group of Christians who someone really knows the word, and and maybe that bloke sort of shares a bit from the Bible. I mean, isn't isn't that what is it then that constitutes or defines or put, puts parameters around a church? Now that's Jesus what I want to. Yes. Jesus did it years ago. Jesus did it years ago. Yeah, preached to many people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jesus preached to many people. All right. Ah. Okay. We're also told not to neglect meeting together. So. Here's what I'd like to think about this morning. Um, Judy said, we're also told, and that's from Hebrews that she's quoting, not to neglect meeting together. What I'd like to do over the course of the next five weeks is actually think about the church. Okay? Specifically, what are the biblical traits of a church? So the very first one, which might seem like a no-brainer, is the church gathered? Again, kind of what I was trying to stir you up there in the beginning was, why do we bother to gather? Does God even care about that? Does God care about the gathering of his people? And if so, if so, then what is it exactly that he wants us to do when we gather? So, do, do, so here's the first point where we're headed. Does God care about the gathering of his people? And secondly, does he care what we do when we gather? Or is it sort of up in the air and we just get to decide how we want it? All right? So that's where we're headed. Um, I'm, I'm particularly excited about this. This is something that, um, look, you know, in a, in a scale of one to ten being passionate about, I'm... Like, there's different subjects to, to think about and, and talk about, and the church is probably the top priority for me. I absolutely love and think, thinking about the church. It's just, it is, it, and because it's very relevant too, right? It's not just over here, but like, okay, if the Bible says this, then why aren't we doing this? Or why or are we doing this, right? It's a very good, it's a very good test for us to immediately apply. Um, so, that said, let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer and... Um, Let's, let's go for it. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Okay, so does God care about the gathering of his people? Well, we're going to be sort of rapid throwing up a bunch of verses up on the screen here. We're going to turn to a couple other 
passages as well, so it's sort of going to be a both and. But let's just start, let's go back to when we say the gathering of God's people. In the Old Testament, after the Lord redeems his people, Israel, out of Egypt, right on the heels of that event, he has them gather together. Fascinating. Look how Moses referred to this groundbreaking moment in Deuteronomy 9.10. He says, And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, on, what does it say? The day of assembly. Do you see that? The day of assembly. And now again, this day of assembly, this gathering of God's people, it actually occurred at a number of sort of watershed moments in Israel's history. Like for instance, Solomon builds the temple. Are you familiar with that? And after Solomon builds the temple, the Ark of the Covenant comes into the temple. And Solomon, what does he do? Gathers God's people. This is, this is a huge moment. So look, look here in 1 Kings 8. Then Solomon said, the Lord said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed, look, all the assembly of Israel, while all the assembly of Israel stood. If you keep reading in the Old Testament, you'll see different events where God's covenant people assemble together. And if you keep reading and you're brave enough and you get all the way through into the New Testament, you see the church gathers as God's people, not so much on these random watershed moments, but actually on a weekly basis on what's called the Lord's Day. Um, for instance, Paul, as he is going through and meeting with various Christians in the book of Acts, it says this in Acts 20, verse 7. So Paul enters this city called Troas. And, and look what it says. On the day of the first week, when we were, notice, gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. The first day of the week is when the church gathered. Later, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he uses phrases like this. Listen, when you come together as a church, the whole church comes together. Check out what I mean here, 1 Corinthians 14. He says, what then, brothers? When you come together, you see that? Each one has a hymn, a lesson, revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. It's interesting there, it doesn't say, did you notice that? It doesn't say, if you so happen to come together. He just assumes it. That being a Christian is being a part of a broader group of people who visibly come together and meet together and covenant together, as it were. He just assumes it. Look what he says here again in, in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there is divisions among you, and I believe it in part. And then he says this, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they will say that you are out of your minds. Now, obviously we don't have the time to tackle the issue of tongues. Let's save that for another day. I'm super keen for that. But, but I hope what you can see 
is this meeting together, this gathering together of the church. Can you see it? When you come together, when you come together, when you come together, they did it regularly. And I'll say this too. Not only did they do it regularly, it was a distinct event. Now, why do I say that it's a distinct event? It was because Paul takes the time to give specific instructions on what they were to do as a church, as they gathered. Look what he says again here in 1 Corinthians 14. Nevertheless, notice, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. It appears that Paul sees church there as a distinct event, as a gathering, right? Look also what he says in the next slide. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent, where? In church, and speak to himself and to God. You see, gathering isn't something that we do because it's a nice thing to do. Aw, isn't this nice? Aw. No, 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 listen. It's part of what a church is, fundamentally. I mean, even the word church itself, when you study it in Greek, it's the term ekklesia, it simply means assembly or gathering. It's that basic. Gathering, assembly. Uh, if we were to actually study the word ecclesia, like if we were just to sort of do like a little word study of that and find out where it appears in the New Testament, you might be kind of surprised that every time it's always pointing to gathering. For instance, there's a church that happens in Ephesus, and I don't mean the church that you have in mind. When Paul first goes to Ephesus in the book of Acts in Acts 19, there is a mob that forms because they're super cheesed off at Paul. Paul is preaching Christ and therefore people aren't worshiping this pagan goddess named Diana anymore. There's now assets being lost because of it and so they're, they're really mad. And so what do they do? A whole mob forms. They drag Paul's companions into the amphitheater, right? To kill them. There's a big riot. And do you know how Luke describes this mob? He uses the word church. Hopefully it's not the kind of church that we are, right? But, but he uses the word church. Why? Because it just, it just means gathering. It's, it's a church with the intent to kill, but, but it's, it's the same word that's used. It's a gathering. It's an assembly. So a meeting or a gathering isn't something churches do. A meeting is, in part, what a church is is God has saved individuals to be united and to come together as an assembly. Now, hopefully you can see both from the study of the word church itself. Again, if you keep read any of the New Testament epistles to the church here, to the church here. Now, these letters were circulated but they're to churches. They're to specific groups of people that met together on the Lord's day. Remember in Colossians, we were just studying that. And Paul says, when you gather together, have this letter read out. When you come together, do that. So then if we're to all gather together, maybe you're convinced. Maybe you're like, okay, all right. Well, maybe I'm starting to see that, there's, it, that the word church itself, like I can't just redefine it. Do you, do you understand how relevant this is going to be in a post-COVID world, by the way? 
Do you know how many people are going to have gotten accustomed to lounge room church? Do you know how many people are going to, oh, well, I don't need to go to church anymore. Well, why don't you need to go to church? Well, I have the church right here with, you know, my wife and my kids and, and my best mate. And, you know, we, we like to, you know, cup, throw on YouTube a couple songs and we have a coffee. It's lovely. It's church. Is that church? Well, you, maybe you decide. Well, what, let's, let's see if there's some parameters. So if we're to gather, if we're to gather as a blood-bought people and be the church, are there some, Asher's excited about it, are there some parameters that we're to do? How about this? If you look at the Bible, it's fascinating. Does God care how he's worshipped? Like, for instance, in the Old Testament, Aaron, you know, so you have Moses and Aaron. Aaron had two sons, Nabab and Abihu. Okay? Do you know what happens to these two blokes? They're like, we're going to worship God how we want. And God's like, oh, yeah? Dead. Oh, well, see, but that's the nasty God of the Old Testament. What about the new? Okay, well, hold on. New Testament, church. Ananias and Sapphira. They come, church, right? New covenant era. Here they are. Oh, wow, Ananias. That's right. Wow, is this all this money you got? Is this? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We, we did. Oh, this is real honest. It's, it's not shady at all. Oh, yeah? Dead. God is serious about how he is worshipped and how we approach him in worship. And so he has actually given us, as it were, parameters that regulate how we are to gather, what we are to do. Parameters that, that give principles, that regulate what we're supposed to do. Now, what are they? Well, there's many, but for our time's sake, I'll narrow them down to five. What are they? We read the Bible, pray the Bible, preach the Bible, sing the Bible, and see the Bible. And every single one of these points we see from scripture when we just open it up and we, talk, we understand how the Lord has regulates, as it were, what we're supposed to do in worship. Do you, I mean, do you ever wonder why we do the certain things that we do? Is this just because it's just nice? And Oh, that's a, well, let's add that in there. That's, that'd be nice. No, the, we have to read the Bible, pray the Bible, preach the Bible, Sing the Bible and see the Bible. So let's, let's go through them one by one. So Paul writes to his young apprentice, a bloke named Timothy, who's pastoring a church, and he wants this church to be devoted. Like what if, what if Paul wrote to us, Wyoming Church of Christ, and he said, I want you to be devoted. Would you have, would you have I mean, would he have our ear at that point? Oh, wow, what do you want us to be devoted to, Paul, when we come together? Well, look at this passage. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Notice the word public. 
which implies a community gathering. In other words, the scripture must be read out loud when the church comes together. This is a command. Now, why is this the case? Don't we have our own Bibles? Like, can't we just read them ourselves? I mean, we're Westerners, right? We're autonomous, rugged individuals. We don't need group community. We have our Bibles ourselves. Why take the time to do this? Because there is something powerful when we're assembled together and during that time the Bible is simply read out loud without comment. In other words, the words themselves wash over the congregation in a, sort of an organic sense. Uh, listen how Ligon Duncan puts it, a, a pastor. He says this, um, he says, in this act of worship, the verbal self-revelation of God is addressed unedited to the hearts of his gathered people. I like that. In this act of worship, scripture reading, the verbal self-revelation of God is addressed unedited to the hearts of his gathered people. Unedited. It's the simple reading of God's word that God speaks most directly to us as his people. By the way, do you, do you want to know that for hundreds of years the church understood this? And that they would have in their worship times of gathering together scripture readings, typically from the old and typically from the new. Someone would stand up, up front, whoever that person was, and they would read the Bible, portions of it, big portions of it from the old and from the new, and when they were done reading that particular passage, they would say, this is, for hundreds of years this happens across the globe, they would say, this is the word of the Lord. And then the whole church, because this is a community, corporate gathering of God's people who are affirming what just was read, would say, thanks be to God. <laughs> Amen to that. Abigail knows. You see, the reason that we do these things, the reason that we, that we have someone read the Bible is because we don't think that this is just a random gathering or this is something, oh, wouldn't that be a nice piece to add into the service? Oh, it's lovely to see her up there reading. Oh, isn't that great? No. Uh, I, do, you think, do you think I'm that nice, first of all? I'm not. Dan might be. But you know, like, I, I, don't, I, I don't really care to have like some, I, it's because we believe that the word of God gives life and sustains faith. Look at this passage here in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It is our conviction about these things is why we do them. If we truly believe that these are God's words and it is his words that give life and sustain faith, we should be overjoyed as a church and hungry for the opportunity to come and hear God's word read and participate in this reading. Now, we have to have a little bit of a family table discussion here, okay? Let's have a quick one. This is the family here. We're all sitting down. I know that some of you don't like repeating Thanks be to God. And to be fair enough, 
I probably didn't really give a good explanation two years ago when I said, oh, this would be really cool, and I just got here and I was excited. But are you, hopefully you're beginning to understand why that's important. It's not just a random book that we're reading. This is an act of worship. And we as a church, I think, honestly, the church has really stuffed this up the last 50 years. You know what the church has become? Here comes my rant. Where's Andrew to, to go like this? He's not here today. He'll be like this. But the church has really stuffed this up. Do you know what the church has become? It's become consumeristic. It's just like, oh, well, I like that. I like that style. I like that vibe. I like the coffee. I like, and, and it's all about me. And, and, and so when someone says, hey, let's, let's do this thing called, hey, let's do a, a public scripture reading where we're going to participate in it. It's like, oh, I don't, I, I'm not going to say that. I, I kind of, I'm going to do my thing. Look, I, I want this church. If you come here, I want you to, I want you to participate in as much as you can. When we pray, which I'm going to hit about, in, I'm going to bang on in just a second. When we pray, I want you engaged. When the scripture's read, when, I'm, when the word's preached, I want us engaged. And so, I say all of that because this service is better than, than the next service struggles. Okay? But I say all that because, do you understand the why behind the whole thing, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. And when we do that, we're actually standing downstream of hundreds of churches over hundreds of years that believe this. That we're not just this random sort of offshoot uh, schismatic church of Christ on the central coast. That we, well, I hope we're not, but we actually need to be in conjunction with our brothers and sisters for hundreds of years that have gone before us. And so, look, it's, here's, here's the, I say all that because, I was talking to April about this. I feel like it's awkward. We kind of need to come to a decision about this as a church. This is the family discussion. Because I don't feel like half of you say it. And it's sort of awkward, and it's fine. Let's, don't, don't take that as I'm rebuking you. I'm not. If, we're, if, we're, if you guys don't want to do it, all good. Like, that's fine. I'm not going to go home and cry myself to sleep tonight. You know, like, I'll get over it. I don't care. But if, I, I just, I, I say all this. If we're going to do that, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's all do it. Because, like, when half the people do it, it's like, thanks, uh, God, I mean, to Rob. I mean, God. I mean, oh, uh, wait, what was I supposed to say? Oh, that's too late now. There he goes. <laughs> so, like, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay? If you're keen to do that, then I'll, uh, that's great, but it's sort of like, it's kind of, uh, how do I describe it? It's like, um, it's like when you don't want to be somewhere, or it's like when you go somewhere as a family, and you're like, we're going to go to Mackers, and half the kids are like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. My kids are like, look like that at Mackers, but we're a bunch of hippie, organic weirdos. So like, you know, it, it, you know what I mean by that? It's like when, when you're trying to go somewhere where it's like, hey guys, we're all going to go to the beach. And the kids are like, we don't want to go to the beach. And so you can see them sort of dragging their feet. And then the other half of the kids, which for me, that's, that's a lot. So the other half of the kids are like, woo, yeah, this is great. And it's just sort of, it, it feels a bit disjointed. Do you know what I mean by that? If we're as a church saying that's great, then let's do it. But I, I feel like we kind of need to come to a decision on it. So we're not taking a vote right now. That was last week. But um, yeah, maybe have a think on that and, and come talk to myself or Dan because look, if we're keen to do it, let's actually, let's go for it. But if not, we'll just scratch it because it's, right now as it stands, it's a bit awkward. So that's my family 
that's my family discussion with you, okay? So, uh, questions at the end, Judy Carter. I'm on a roll here. Yes, do you want to say, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Before you start that explanation, mm -hmm. when you first said it, I thought, now I get it. Oh, okay, good. To my right, before you began explaining it, you had already said, you'd made the statement, mm. and, I, and in my mind I said, now I get it. So, because yeah. that explanation has not been there. Fair, that's what I said. Yeah. My second, I think it's my second Sunday, Michael Matthews read, and I was like, that was a really good reading. And I was like, oh, hey, you guys, I'm really excited, and I just don't even know it's my second Sunday here. Let's do this thing called, when I say this is the word of the Lord, and you guys say thanks be to God, and people are like. <laughs> and I've come out, of, and to be fair, I've been a part of churches the last, say, eight years of my life that understood that and got, and that's not to insult you, but I've been a part of church that understood these things and got behind them. And it was like, not like, you know, five of us, but like 500 of us on a Sunday morning. So then when I came here, I'm like, why don't they, well, come on guys, let's just do it, you know, but hopefully that's hopeful now. So, um, Judy's keen at least. Joy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so what Joy's saying is the Henry Kendall village, they say that. And I think the reason they say that is because of the Presbyterian and Anglican influence. So. Yeah, yeah, well, well, but I, what I mean though is probably uh, the guy who, what's his name, the guy who heads it up? Peter. Peter's at the Prezies, right? So he's understanding, hey, look, there's a, there's a tradition much bigger than, than us here. So um, there you go. So now you Church of Christ folk won't feel left out when you hear that bit. And like, what was that about, you know? So. Um, but doesn't mean that, I hope you don't hear that like too, that we're being Presbyterian. The Presbyterians typically just understand and have appreciation for confessions of faith and, and things like that. So. Hmm. Well, they were, some of the Prezi churches aren't very good. Ah. Oh. Hmm. Why don't we keep moving on? And Betty, if you can, with that Irish accent, I feel like it would be even more powerful. Thanks be to God. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. All right, claps. Here we go. Let's bring, reel it in, people. Reel it in. Reel it in, for goodness sakes. I'm going to reel you in if the church is the last thing I do. Okay, so read the Bible. Good feedback, though, guys. Good feedback. Read the Bible. Pray the Bible. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, that, that's like the second thing. Pray the Bible. Until I come, devote yourself, right, to the public reading of Scripture, okay? And then he talks about teaching, etc. But here, I want us to see in Acts chapter 2. It'll come up here on the screen. Notice here in Acts, Acts 2.42. And they, meaning the gathered church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, that being communion, and what else? The prayers, yeah. That's actually my rendition of it, sorry. Rain, poor Reynard, he just took it right off my notes. No, no, that's right, man. <laughs> and the prayers. So now, when we say, pray the Bible, we don't, I, I don't necessarily mean you're gonna say, um, I'm in, let's see here. Uh, and Lord, and as we return to Capernaum, 
and help us some days after this, we reported that all, but that the Bible itself, now you could, by the way, if you heard Dan, he quote, that was a passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 55, from my thoughts are not your thoughts. So that was scripture. Was there any other scriptures that you prayed, Dan? I heard a couple of scriptural patterns and ideas. So Dan was a great model of a biblical prayer this morning. Right, So it's not like he's just randomly pulling stuff out of the air and just saying, oh God, uh, thank you for the petrol station across the street and whatever comes and floats in my head right now. But I'm imagining, brother, that you took the time to think about the character of God, the church, why we're here, specific prayer requests as he prayed for the rich family and others, right? Yeah. So, and, and what... That was a biblical prayer, right? It didn't necessarily like quote Bible the whole time. But notice here again, there's a text. It's interesting. Paul instructs his apprentice Timothy in a number of matters related to corporate worship. And at the beginning of that list is prayer. Notice in 1 Timothy here, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Um, in, it's interesting in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul needed to instruct this church about how men and women pray, and specifically when they pray publicly. He says, you know, you, you need to take certain measures so that when you pray publicly, you don't dishonor God. These practices, he says in 1 Corinthians, are the norm in all the church of God. That's why every Sunday here at Wyoming Church of Christ, what we do is take a significant amount of time to pray as a congregation. And what we try to follow is, say, the model of Acts. I don't mean the book of Acts, but adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Because it gives you a guide on, okay, Lord, I'm not going to just approach you flippantly, but I'm actually going to think about adoration. Who is God? God is the creator. He's sustainer. He's this, okay? Confession. Lord, as a church, we have sinned. Forgive us. Thank you, Thanksgiving, that in Christ we can have forgiveness. And now, Lord, supplication. Here are our needs as a church. You see, it walks you through a, a model, as it were, of praying, of coming to God and adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication. So, read the Bible as we publicly gather. Pray the Bible and preach the Bible. Turn to 2 Timothy. We looked at this text last week, this passage in 2 Timothy four. Remember what I said to you that we don't know here if Paul has minutes, hours, days. This is, the, this is it. This is basically Paul, if you want to say he's on his deathbed or better yet, he's on death row. Okay. And, and you know, when you, you have the very last thing that you're going to say, you want it to be significant, right? So this is the apostle Paul. And as he basically passes the baton on to his young apprentice, I mean, here it, here it is. This is it. I mean, this is, this is the guy that wants, 
If your words are going to count, buddy, this is it. It's right now. And so he says in the very last chapter of 2 Timothy, in the presence of God, 2 Timothy 1, sorry, 2 Timothy 4, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's a judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. Do you feel that ratcheting up? I mean, you know, like he's pulling, he's, he's pulling all the gloves off, right? Like here it is, here it is. And what's he concerned about? Preach the word. In Greek, keirusan ton logon, it's an imperative. Preach, not stories about yourself, not little fun sermonettes and skits. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And why is that? For the time will come when men will not, which is right now, put up with sound doctrine. Instead to suit their own desires. Do you hear that? Instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them. That sounds like church, doesn't it? They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. One of the things that I am committed to as your pastor, as well as Dan is, as we are the preaching pastors here, is not preaching ourselves, but Christ and him crucified. Preaching the word systematically, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through books of the Bible. Now today, we're doing a topical series for the next five weeks. But the regular diet of a biblical church is one that has what's called expositional preaching. That is preaching. Nothing else, anything else is not preaching. Preaching has to be an exposing of God's word, opening up the text. By the way, this is why I want you to bring your Bibles here. So that when we go through books of the Bible, you can see for yourself and be like the Bereans and say, yes, I see that this is actually what, this isn't just some random pastor's cute little illustration. This is actually what the Bible says itself. This is God speaking to his gathered people. And so one of the things that the elders are absolutely, we will die on this hill, is preaching the word, is being committed to going through big chunks of text or little chunks, but we're going to be going sequentially, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through books in the Bible. If that's something that doesn't interest you, there are a dozen churches on the coast that don't do that. So you can go there if you'd like. But this church is going to be about that. So I, I just, I, I hope you're here. I, I, I hope you don't sense that. There's no arrogance in that, by the way. I need the scriptures. hope you don't say, oh, well, that's pretty arrogant. I need the scriptures to dictate what I'm going to say. I'm too sinful. I'm going to pick, I, do you think I, when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, I, was, I had just been here for, I don't know, less than a year. Do you think I wanted to preach a sermon on divorce and remarriage? No, I'm not stupid. I might be weird, but I'm not stupid. And so like, no, but, but see, when you go through books of the Bible, guess what? You don't get to cherry pick. You don't get to ignore all the tricky bits. You, you're, you're, it's right there in front of you. So what do you, and, and if you do, it's sort of really obvious because you're like, 
Anyway, over to chapter 8 now. Dude, you like skipped this huge, what, are you scared? What's going on? So we want to, with teachable hearts and with humility, say, no, 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 we believe we're going to sit under the authority of the scriptures here, and this is what the word of God says. We are going to preach the word. Preach the word, Paul says. It's a command. And you know what's interesting? You might be like, oh, that's nice. I'm glad Dan and Rob are excited about that. Did you notice the accountability that the churches have for gathering around them false teachers? That God actually holds you guys accountable for what we say and how we speak. That a time will come when men will not put up a sound of doctrine and say they'll gather around themselves. A grammar teacher say what their itching ears want to hear. So, you you know, you hear these people say, oh, well, you know, I'm at a church and they don't really do what you're talking about. God holds you accountable. You're a part of that church. This isn't just like a word to, pun intended, this isn't just a word to pastors. This is a word to every one of you. Like if, if I ever have to leave here because of immigration or who knows what, and they call an ex pastor, if he's not committed to that, do you understand? You're accountable to that. It matters. It matters. God will judge you for the church that you decide to go to. I honestly, not based on works here, but I'm saying like you'll be you'll be held accountable for what you're choosing to covenant together with that specific church. This isn't just you know I kind of drift in here and drift in there and I'm I'm kind of here there and nowhere. No, like the the Bible says in Hebrews that elders are supposed to give an account for your souls. So like my, one of my jobs is to give an account for your soul. And as we gather together, one of the best ways I can do that and say, well, has this person, has Joy, sorry to pick on Joy, has Joy heard the gospel? I, I can say, well, probably not perfectly, but I hope you can, I've done my best to present her maturing in Christ. I've done my best to continue to point her to you in your word. That's all I can do. Sorry, Joy, to embarrass you. You see? And so, but I'm, I'm, I'm accountable to that. And you as a church are accountable for how the Bible is either read or not read, prayed or not prayed, preached or not preached. So read the Bible, pray the Bible, preach the Bible, and sing the Bible. Now, now go, to, go back to our book in Colossians here. I say our book because we were, we were just preaching through that book. In Colossians... Three. I was in Ephesians. Ephesians also has the same exact passage, almost word for word. Colossians three, verse fifteen. Paul says, "And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called to one body." And he says, "And let the word of uh, Christ, verse sixteen." dwell in you richly, teaching and admonish one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So when we say sing the Bible, we don't necessarily mean, though some churches practice this, we just sing words of scripture, but that the warp and woof of our singing is biblical. It's not just random songs 
pulled out of the thin air, or songs that are not true to the character of God. You know, a song, and I don't mean to offend you when I say this, but a song that was popular in the 90s. Let me, let me ask you before I sing the song, when Christ was on the cross, do you think his greatest aim was for you? <laughs> uh, no, it's the glory of the Father, right? And you are a byproduct of that. So when you sing a song like, like a rose trampled on the ground, he took the fall. And what did he think of above all? And thought of me above all. No, sorry, Mr. Michael W. Smith, you're a nice guy, but that's wrong. That's wrong theology. And so we don't want to sing things that are untrue about who God is and the atonement. We want to sing songs that are actually right and scriptural and biblical. Now, interesting here too, it's interesting to give, have this bit in the sermon when we can't sing right now. It's really interesting. There's a command here that we're to sing, but I'll leave, I'll leave that one with you guys. But he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Do you notice that we address God, but there's in a sense where we encourage one another by singing truth about who God is to each other. In other words, there's a, there's a corporate gathering. A mighty fortress is my God? Our God. That's right, Knowles. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark, never failing. Our helper, he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His power and uh, cruel, what is it, are great and marked with cruel hate. On earth there is none equal. So he, he, we're addressing a mighty fortress is our God. We have to sing songs that are biblical. This is why Rhonda and myself have, have been really thinking through some of the songs that we sing as a church and saying, do these line up with the scriptures? Rhonda Dundas, that is, not this Rhonda. Although that Rhonda's great. And so we have to ask ourselves, is this true about who God is? Is this true about sin? Is this true about what the Bible teaches? You see, not how it makes us feel, by the way. Oh, I love this song, though. That's nice. I, I love the Beatles. I'm going to sing them in church. Right? I mean, I, I, I love, well, I won't start naming all the bands I like because you probably judge me. But that's, there's a difference, right? There's a difference, there's, a count, there's, a, there's actually an, an expectation when we come together that we sing songs, spiritual songs, addressing one another. You see that? There's, there's, a, there's actually like a, a, a very clear requirement. So we read the Bible, we pray the Bible, we preach the Bible, we sing the Bible, and then lastly, we see the Bible. What do I mean by that? We see the Bible in baptism. Buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. We see the Bible as we break bread together. Right? We see the Bible is, as Protestants, we only have two sacraments, if you want to use that term. We have baptism and the Lord's Supper. So, so we see the Bible in those elements. And so, if you're in Christ now, we're actually going to participate in one of those. We don't have a baptism. But 
this is a time where now as we transition, we want to see the Bible in communion. And so if you identify with Jesus, if you are part of the church that's gathered, spiritually speaking, I don't mean that you're just sitting in a chair, but that you are identifying, you have union with God in Christ, that right now you're presently trusting in Jesus alone for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life, then this is the time for you to grab the elements and hold on to them together as a church family as we see the Bible. And so I'd ask the um, ushers to come forward and distribute those. And if you are a Christian, grab on those. If you're not, please let those pass by, and we'd love to talk to you more about what it means to know Christ. This is for those who identify with Jesus. And so when you get the little wafer and the juice, go ahead and do all the bits and pieces as we reflect on this song together. And then